are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Tuesday, September 21st edition of Locked On Dolphins. This is your host, Kyle Krabs, and we got some good news throughout the course of the day on Monday, which is nice, generally speaking, considering we got zero that resembled good news in any way, shape, or form throughout the course of the day on Sunday. Uh, So let's start with the good. We're going to explore a couple fan ideas for trades to kind of help this team. That was something that I I put out on social media, Entertain. want to hear from everybody what their resolution is for trades to help the Miami Dolphins if you could make just one. Uh, We're going to explore some things that I think need to be done to help the offense improve at a higher level. And then we're going to get into uh, some of this news, and we're going to start there today, including Tua Tagovailoa. The news came back. There was no structural damage based on the MRI and the x-ray that was taken on his ribs. Uh, it's been reported this is strictly going to be a pain management issue for Tua and his availability to play, including in week three against the Las Vegas Raiders. Here's what I would say on that front. Tua obviously needs to be able to throw the ball uninterrupted in order to play. But if you were on social media and you spent some time throughout the course of the day on Monday after the game or Sunday after the game and had a hard time with all of the pessimism around the Miami Dolphins, and I know I did, um, imagine how difficult next week will be regardless of if it's a win or a loss if this news is now out here and uh, Tua Tungvaloa does not play in the game on Sunday which is uh, a shame and it's kind of just a, a manifestation of this hot seat environment that seemingly everybody in Miami is on right now and I don't know what you can really do to change it um, would I be disappointed if Tua, in a pain management situation, was unable to play on Sunday against the Raiders, yes, I would be. I also understand he's a human being, and you know players are not robots. No better evidence of that than whatever personal issue Will Fuller uh, went through this past weekend. Uh, but there's another bit of good news for this Miami Dolphins team. It was reported on Monday that Will Fuller is back in the building and is expected to make his season debut for the Miami Dolphins this upcoming Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, so let's let's collectively take a breath and start right there. Tua, no structural damage to his ribs. If he can deal with the pain, he can play. Great. Will Fuller, whatever personal issue he's dealt with over the past four or five days, Uh, He's reportedly in a much better place, and he was back in the facility on Monday, ready to roll. Great. Those two players, if they are available to Miami, are obviously going to help your chances in what is now suddenly uh, a very critical Week 3 matchup against a 2-0 team in the Las Vegas Raiders, who are not expected to win the division. Uh, but you may find yourself jostling with down the stretch 
for a playoff spot. The Raiders have started the season well. So if you're Miami, uh, yeah, this one's a big one. You know, last week was obviously a big one, and we saw how the team arrived and was quote-unquote ready to play. Let me take a big old sip of this uh, redemption bourbon here real quick because I alluded that the Dolphins were ready to play on Sunday. This is legitimate bourbon, just in case you're wondering. It's Monday night, before Monday night football. Um, so th- this is Miami's only West Coast trip of the year. When I did the schedule prediction for Miami, I had them at 3-2 and two through their first five games. I expected them to lose to Buffalo. So from a predictive standpoint, they're where I expected them to be through two games, but at the same time, nobody expects your team to go out and get just... Whatever adjective you want to use to describe what happened to the Dolphins on on Sunday against Buffalo, I will say this: it was the most disrespectful defensive game plan to an opposing offense I've seen at the NFL level in quite a while. They literally said, "We're going to blitz the hell out of you until you prove you can beat the blitz, and we're going to cap your primary read." And force you to work through your progression. So all those things that we kind of scoffed at J.C. Jackson for saying. Buffalo put it into application. And they won. And I think you can make the argument that they won because they have more dynamic threats off the edge. Than New England does. New England relies on some of the uh, manufactured pressures and stunt game and so forth. Buffalo is literally just we're hard charging straight ahead. And these offensive tackles were not up to snuff for Miami, period. So we're going to focus on the good news. Will Fuller reportedly back to a Tongvaloa, pain management issue, no structural damage, could play in week three, potentially. But this is a good place to transition into what needs to get better and what needs to change offensively for the Dolphins. And we're going to start with these offensive tackles because they both stunk out loud on Sunday against Buffalo. Austin Jackson deserves to sit, and I would not be upset upon further review if I did not see Austin Jackson take another snap for the Miami Dolphins in 2021. I understand draft and develop. I understand you're going to trust your coaches. But we've seen enough now. Austin Jackson gave up nine pressures against Buffalo. I don't know what evaluation process you're using to come to the conclusion that Austin Jackson is your best candidate to start at left tackle. But if you're going to be pulling Tua Tungvaloa in and out of games in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick, get Austin Jackson the hell off the field. Because he was a liability. Tua, Jacoby Brissett, you name it. He needs to sit. And Jesse Davis on the other side was not any better. And the good news is Brian Flores did say that they were going to be evaluating personnel changes on the offensive line. It's time to put the ego away, and it's time to stop giving Austin Jackson unquestioned status as a starter. Because he, based off of play in the preseason and week two, he does not deserve to start. And when I asked everybody on social media what uh, 
what's a, a move that you would like to see Miami make? There was a lot of Laramie Tunsil. Trade for Laramie Tunsil. Go get Laramie Tunsil back. I do think Miami is one quality starter at tackle away because I've liked what I've seen from Liam Eikenberg, and he is a high-floor player. And if you played Liam Eikenberg at one of the tackle spots, particularly at left tackle, which is his natural position, I think you're okay from guard to guard. Do you have any studs or stalwarts? No. And I think that should be a position that is on the table for Miami to spend premium money in the offseason to find a premium player. But that's an important distinguishment to make because I just dropped my second 2022 mock draft for the draft network, and I did not have the Dolphins drafting an offensive lineman. And the reason is they have invested a ton of premium draft picks. They have a young line. You need to know what you're getting. Any additions the Dolphins make to the offensive line unit from this point, you need to know their quality NFL players. And if that means you pay a premium, then F it. Pay the premium. I do think from guard to guard, you're okay. I like what you have in in Kinley, understanding his limitations in range. Dieter has played well at center, in my opinion, and Robert Hunt's ceiling is still very high. There's some hand placement issues, but he just got done moving from tackle inside to guard. He had the boneheaded false start, and he had a holding penalty because his hands were too wide, and he kind of caught the the block. But if you ask me the number one thing that needs to change for this Dolphins, like Greg Little and Liam Eikenberg at left and right tackle literally cannot be any worse than what Austin Jackson and Jesse Davis were on Sunday against the Bills. Period. Austin Jackson especially. I don't care that he was a top 20 pick. I went through my draft report back in the day. A bunch of people thought it was an ambitious pick at the time. I had him graded out as like the 95th best player in that class. I had a third round valuation on him because the variance was high. Well, you're seeing the variance here and there were no good plays at all against Buffalo. There were very few good plays in the preseason. So I hope Brian Flores is serious when he's talking about this team and he says it's time to adjust and we're going to evaluate personnel decisions and changes along the offensive line because if you do, public enemy number one to sit is Austin Jackson, period. Football is back and better than ever. All eyes on the gridiron teams are back in action for the start of yet another football season and as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. With a new updated site and interface with even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus that's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code locked on. So, the next thing that needs to change for Miami offensively, uh, I don't know what happened to Miles Gaskin in the offseason, but Miles Gaskin got extended look as the Miami Miami Dolphins' primary running back because he was the Dolphins' best pass protector in 2020. He has been abysmally bad, woefully bad as a pass protector through two games. I don't fully prescribe to any one measure 
of success uh, or analysis, but the first free runner against Buffalo looked like a preempted play-action pass that should have had Miles Gaskin scan and identify the pressure off the edge. He did not. Pro Football Focus through two games has Miles Gaskin with a 13.5 grade in pass protection through two games. 59 reps in the passing game. 15 reps in pass blocking. And credited with seven pressures allowed. Pro Football Focus has Miles Gaskin giving up the second most amount of pressures on the team behind Austin Jackson, who played in one game. Meanwhile, Malcolm Brown has not been given very many opportunities to play in pass protection. Graded 84.4 in pass pro. Savan Ahmed graded at 74.6 in pass pro. Now, Gaskin's taken the majority of the reps in these opportunities. But whatever happened to Miles, the 2020 version of Miles Gaskin in pass protection, I have no idea. But he has been woeful through two games. As a point of reference, in 64 snaps, in opportunities in pass pro in 2020, Miles Gaskin conceded two pressures. The Dolphins were not wrong to assume that he was going to make the most of that opportunity. He's been asked to block 15 times, 15 opportunities in pass pro. And seven pressures allowed in two games. I don't know what's happening here, but this is not good. This needs to get put literally anybody else out. If you're going to have a running back in there, who's a liability in pass pro, you might as well put Savan Ahmed out there because at least he gives you some explosiveness to work within the running game. So we've put the offensive tackles on notice. Miles Gaskin's on notice as well as far as one of his redeeming qualities was he was the one of the top 12 best pass-protecting backs in football last year through 10 games. And that afforded the Dolphins the greatest menu of plays to work with offensively. He is not cutting it on third down at all, period. Needs to be better. And if he's not going to be better, then put somebody else out there who gives you a little bit more of appeal in the running game. I think those are the two big areas in protection that I'm most concerned with right now is a side of communication. Uh, The offensive tackle play and the backs in protection have been not good. I do think you have enough to work with from guard to guard, like I said, that I'm not hitting the panic button there. I know some some fans are tweeting at me on social media saying, I would take five guys off the waiver ahead of the five guys that we have here. I don't think that's necessary. Personally, Michael Dieter's taken 87 snaps in the passing game. He's given up four pressures in two games. You can live with it. Robert Hunt, 87 snaps in the passing game. Four pressures allowed. You can live with it. Solomon Kinley, 84 and 5. Is it good? No. Is it okay? Yes. 
Austin Jackson, eight in one game. Are you kidding me? Miles Gaskin, a pressure every other opportunity you're given in pass pro. Are you kidding me? Jesse Davis, the matador on the on the right tackle on the blind side. Are you kidding me? You want to draw your ire in one direction. I'm looking at those offensive tackles and those backs, man. Got to be better. You also have to have some blitz beaters um, in your back pocket. You know, because they literally said, we're going to cap the slant route coming into the middle of the field. And we're going to sit on that first progression. And Godspeed, best of luck to you. We don't think you can work through your progressions. I like what they do with some of the screen game stuff, uh, particularly the quick throws. But we said this in building the game plan to beat Buffalo. You have to have something over the top. Whether it's kind of a a double move, you just want to throw slot fade, whatever that looks like. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But... What happened against, like, there were no opportunities to get your speed players shots down the field and force them to respect them back off the blitz. And I said this at the top of the show, it was the most disrespectful game plan I've seen in a long time. And Miami proved them right. Here's some a silver lining, uh, if you will, is I don't think this is going to be a persistent... It's not going to be this bad every week, right? And obviously, you got to worry about Yannick Ngakwe, and you got to worry about Max Crosby next week with the Raiders. They're, I believe, number one in pass pressures in the NFL for two weeks at this point in time, and that's obviously a cause for concern. But if the Raiders, this is what I find interesting, are the Raiders going to Xerox this game plan or they go say, oh, we get we got Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. We're going to trust those guys to get home. We're not going to heat you up and blitz you. And for as much as teams want to replicate the Buffalo formula, say what you will about the Bills, uh, they're a really good defensive football team. Uh, and so was New England. And Miami managed to score enough points and move the ball enough and had flashes of potential to do even more that they were not in quicksand like they were against Buffalo. So seeing the formula is one thing, but replicating the formula in practice on the field is something entirely different, and you have to have some really good personnel to get that done. The Bills have really good safeties. The Bills have Tredavious White. They've got two stud linebackers in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. And then they've they've got straight line explosive athletes in Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa up front, Jerry Hughes. They got some bodies up front. They have a lot that they can throw at you when they bring the kitchen sink and they want to play zone and sit on your routes and dare you to try and squeeze it in there in a tight window. Because you're going to have to hold, and you saw this with both Jacoby and Tua, to get to the second window past that second level defender who's who's sitting in that area and capping that route that's going to take that guy's head off unless he clears him and works behind him into the, the deeper portion of the route. So that's where I stand as far as where Miami needs uh, to be better. Give both offensive tackles a, a boot, you know, and wide open competition. And Liam Eikenberg, 
He's played, I think, 60 snaps in pass pro over two games in the NFL to this point in time. He started week one, played about a half against Buffalo, and all they did was throw the ball. I also think you you need to be able to run the ball a little bit. You need to play to your strength. You you went went out and got all this size up front, right? Um, you got to be able to move the interior bodies. And if that means you cut down on the RPOs and you do true play-action passing and power run game, then so be it because you keep getting popped for offensive linemen downfield. And that's a, that's that's some discipline issues. But at the same time, if you're going to run a lot of RPOs, you tell the offensive linemen you got to secure the, the line of scrimmage. You can't work downfield and get it into the laps of linebackers. So therefore, the linebackers are filling the holes rather effectively at the NFL level because you can't climb and get them in case they pull the ball and throw it, and then you get flagged for being too far downfield as an offensive lineman. It's a real conundrum. So maybe dial back the RPOs a little bit. You know, if you want to have an alert or something like that to alert a route and just have a one-on-one interaction, that's fine. But that way you're making that pre-snap assessment based on what the, the alignment is to take the throw instead of this is an RPO, which means the offensive line, you got to stay on the first level and don't climb. And if we give the ball, we're going to hope for three yards and hope for the best. Because when you get into third and sevens, these offensive tackles are getting eaten alive. It's not working. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts to customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you've been shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price is the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. I want to tell you guys about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle. DirecTV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part is there's no annual contract involved. So stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Speaking of packages... Asked a bunch of people on social media for if you could make one singular move to help the Miami Dolphins at this point in time with a trade, what would it be? And I wanted specifics. I want who you're trading for, what are you giving up, you name it. And there was a whole bunch of Laramie Tunsil. In this conversation, I got 156 responses, and Laramie Tunsil's name probably came up 75 to 100 of them. And I don't know if it's a romanticization about what Laramie Tunsil is as a player at this point in time, or or what he was in because he used to play for Miami. Uh, but I do know this is not a contract I would necessarily be interested in bringing on into the fray for the Dolphins. You're acquiring him. His yearly cash this year is $16.15 million. His yearly cash in 2022 is $18 million, and in 2023 is $18.5 million. That's not cap hit. That's cash. 
Now, for Miami, it would be the same thing. But Tunsil is not a player who has not had his fair share of, of struggles as far as uh, penalties. Uh, he has not graded particularly well to this point in the year uh, through two games. Uh, for the Texans, the good news is he has not been charged with any penalties. So that's a silver lining, but that has been a big issue for him uh, for the past couple of seasons. Tunsil's graded out really good in pass pro his two years in Houston, uh, much better than he ever graded out in Miami, uh, but still a middle-tier run blocker uh, in general. He had 18 penalties in 2019. He cut that, managed to cut that down to, quote-unquote, just six in 2020. What it, would it take to get Laramie Tunsil? I've seen anything and everything from Austin Jackson, Preston Williams, and Jakeem Grant, uh, which Houston would laugh you out of the building for, to more realistic trade packages, which would include Austin Jackson, a one, and an additional day two pick, which is, you know, obviously if you feel like the Dolphins are an offensive tackle away from competing for a Super Bowl, perhaps that's a, you know, price you're willing to pay. But there were a lot of, Responses that also went in in different directions. Um, somebody was asking for top five center. Somebody was asking for Ryan Ramchek, who just got an extension from the Saints. You're not going to sniff Ryan Ramchek. I understand the, the Saints. the The worst for them is over from a salary cap perspective. The, if they could make it work this past year and extend Ryan Ramchek, they're keeping Ryan Ramchek, who's arguably a top three offensive tackle in football, regardless of the left or right side. I think if you want a, a quality starting offensive lineman, you have to look at teams that are uh, not expected to contend. Houston's the right idea, uh, but I don't think you're going to... You would have to pay an obscene amount to get a singular player, where I think if you wait till free agency next offseason, and yes, in hindsight, if we're going to sit here and we're going to apply through two games, which the season's still young... Uh, and we still do have some alternative options at offensive tackle to explore between Liam Eikenberg, who I think has plenty of promise as a high-floor player, even if he's not a rock star, and Greg Little literally cannot be any worse than Austin Jackson. Hindsight says, yeah, the Dolphins probably put too many eggs in the basket of draft and develop. But And everybody's kind of sorting through uh, this loss in their own way. But I also see... A lot of criticism, again, going back to Chris Greer, who's you can already tell is going to be this year's version of Chan Gailey. And uh, I can't believe we're paying Eric Flowers $6 million uh, when he would have been our best offensive lineman uh, to block for somebody else. I don't know if you guys watched a single snap of Eric Flowers from last year, but Eric Flowers stunk last year. And the same people that are criticizing the Dolphins for paying Flowers and biting the bullet and then moving on and trying to, to get more youth in the lineup and upgrade that position potentially are probably the same ones that gave Creer a hard time for signing Eric Flowers in the first place. So it's like, I don't know what the hell some of you guys want. Greer's damned because he signed him in the first place, and then they they move on from him and try and upgrade and get younger. And I think Solomon Kinley is a better player uh, than Eric Flowers, at least for the, the price that you're paying him. And now it's, it's damn, the Dolphins are paying Flowers $6 million to play for somebody else when we didn't like the contract in the first place. But now that 
the offensive line in general is stinking, and it's, I don't even think, because of the interior line. For the vast majority of the issues, and now Eric Flowers is supposed to, we're supposed to look at him and expect that he was going to be the savior of this line? Mm, I'm not buying it. I'm really not. Trying to be objective here, and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that I would have done differently too. But I can't sit here and crow about, well, if they'd listened to me, they would have drafted Antoine Winfield at 30, and they would have drafted Cesar Ruiz at 18, or whatever else. And then they would have drafted Jonathan Taylor at 39, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, there's things I would have done differently too. But at, the, at this point in time, like, we're at where we're at. You're not going to find it. If you find a time machine, let me know. Great. Because we'll stage a coup. We'll take over the Dolphins. We'll make different picks in 2020. The best that, from my perspective, the best we can do right now is look at where is this team, what can it do moving forward to not make the same missteps, miscalculations, or make overambitious judgment on player progression like it appears as though they've done with Austin Jackson, potentially Miles Gaskin, Noah Igbenogany, and heaven forbid if Tua doesn't play, because then the hindsight is 2020 crowd is just going to amplify tenfold next Monday, win or loss versus what it was yesterday. In the grand scheme of things, Miami is one and one. They're where I thought they would be. They have the opportunities to make some changes, and they have a couple of very obvious opportunities to improve and upgrade. And if they don't make them, then, yeah, I'm going to be pretty irritable. I'm going to be pretty frustrated. But they have an opportunity to make some of these changes and get some of this stuff right. Does it put a glass ceiling on this this season? Potentially. It's hard to say. We'll never know what Tua looked like against Buffalo. And this whole season... The objective is to close the gap on the Bills. Well, mission accomplished so far, right? It's looking great. Not. But there's still 15 games to play. Good teams get off the rails every now and again. The Super Bowl winners last year lost by 35 points to the New Orleans Saints, which were a quality team within the division. Okay, you know, we can take that in stride. We can move on from it. But you have to make the adjustments, and that's what Brian Flores is talking about this week. We'll see what they do to amend some of these issues and make some of these changes and hopefully get this thing right. But you've at least heard from me on some things that I would change in-house. Uh, you know, you know, public target number one in the trade game is Laramie Tunsil, but it's probably going to cost you a, a player, and nobody would lose sleep at this point if it's Austin Jackson. I get it. Uh, but you'd lose a player, a one, a two, and you'd also be paying $18 million a year for that player. And that's everybody's number one. And it's probably your most realistic available player as well. Uh, and we've got the good news that Will Fuller and Tua uh, potentially back this week against the Raiders in week three for a very important uh, wild card matchup type game with Miami's only West Coast trip. That's going to do it for today's episode. Kyle Krabs, thanks as always for listening to Locked On Dolphins. Fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. 
Uh, we got more, a lot more this week to get into, so make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast and tune in. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hope you guys enjoy your Tuesday.